these messages continue to be available online. In fact, we have a surprisingly large following. I don't mean like surprise. I mean, it's, it's amazing what, what the ministry of this church and where it goes and, and who it reaches. And I want to begin by taking a moment just to reflect on last week's message. My intent was to remind you to love everyone. That's your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, strangers, even your enemies with the same level of commitment, acceptance, and devotion as with the others. Your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, you love them, you're, you accept them, and you're devoted to them equally, just as God commanded you to do. And so I took the message of, of this wedding, this beautiful wedding I'd done the night before, and, and we put ourselves in that story to look at each person in the world as that person we're committing to, to love and honor and accept, regardless of our health or their health, our wealth or their wealth. And what a powerful reminder it was of what true unconditional love is. However, I was given feedback that it served as a good reminder to those of us who are in a marriage relationship. I'm pleased that the message could be taken literally. Um, but I want to remind you that those same rules apply to everyone again. Forgive others and yourself. Love God, love others, and love yourself. There's no differentiation between friends and enemies in that instruction. And I also received word from a couple that is connected to this community that heard the message and spoke directly to some issues that they were having in their relationship. And I want to take a moment and speak and pray for all of us, regardless of which category you might find yourself in. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, your instructions are clear. They're very simple, but they're not always easy. Love others as you have loved us. We make that marriage vow. We make that marriage commitment. And in even that, as, as deeply as, as, as we are engaged in that relationship, that is sometimes hard too. So, Lord, for, for those who are, are married and, and have, uh, they're in a great place in their marriage, we thank you for that and for the example they set. Lord, for those who are not currently in that kind of marriage relationship, we thank you for the reminder of, of what Jesus Christ is, the bridegroom to the church's bride and what that level of commitment means and how we are to love others that same way. And Lord, for those who may be struggling in a personal relationship, whether it may be a friendship or a family member or, or marriage, Lord, we ask that you bring them back to the very basics of that covenant promise made and that you are a part of that. As I described it last week, this eternal triangle where the couples are at the bottom and as they come closer to you at the very top of this triangle, they're coming closer to each other. Lord, this world needs you and every relationship on this planet needs you. So God, we thank you for that reminder. Amen. It's been a busy and stressful few weeks in the Bennett household, and I mean Bennett meaning collectively, parents and children as well. And we moved my parents into the, another place, and my daughter is just a couple weeks from, from giving birth to little Olivia. Yay. Uh, we're very excited. And, and God continues to be good and faithful and has taken care of absolutely everything. But I sure do value my morning prayer in a soda. I do. But you know, I'm not a coffee drinker. So a nice cold Coke Zero or Diet Dr. Pepper is an important part of my morning routine. This is coffee is for you, dear. But one particular day, as I was being handed the large cup of McDonald's drive-thru, which is a tradition, the lady looked me in the eyes and she said, have a blessed day. 
Now that's something I might have expected from Chick-fil-A, but here, here, is, here I am in the McDonald's and they're just lined up and everybody's trying to get to work. She says, have a blessed day. Look me right in the face. And they had been normal, send off for her car. So I don't know that I was anything special. But I was more accustomed to the traditional bag hanging out the window. They're looking at the line of cars behind me like, thank you, come again, which is fine. I... But this lady said, have a blessed day. That was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment to remind me of some truths that are far more important and more influential in my life than the list of current day's anxieties. Friends, never underestimate the importance of your ministry opportunities, regardless of where you are or what you are doing. You have a part in God's working in the world, and from time to time, you get to be a conspicuous reminder of that to someone, and you may or may not ever know that you made a difference. Now, I've titled this morning's message, Faith Like Dominoes, and if you will indulge me, I just want to share a short video. Lily Havesh's YouTube channel, Havesh5, showcases her amazing domino chain reactions. Here's how her domino obsession gained her over 1 million subscribers. I was about 10 years old when I first started getting into dominoes. I just had a set of 28 dominoes at my grandparents' house and I decided one day to set them up, knock them down, and I really liked how they fell. I went on YouTube, searched dominoes, and I found a ton of amazing videos that blew my mind. She gets inspired by everything from pop culture to other domino builders. I get a lot of inspiration just seeing what other people are doing and then I think, you know, how can I improve on this idea or build, build off of it to do something even more creative. But mapping out thousands of dominoes is no easy task. Most of her designs take days to complete and they don't always fall as planned. It's sad to see your work fall over before it's completed, especially if you don't get it on film. Havesh posted her first video in 2009, but her videos didn't start taking off until a few years later. In 2013, she posted a domino trick video that went completely viral. Today, the video has over 76 million views. Since then, she's used dominoes to create everything, from detailed cartoon characters to full-fledged continents. Some of my setups, they have absolutely no planning. I just start placing dominoes and I keep going and I see like, you know, how can I make this different? How can I build a structure in a new way? Or, you know, just add on to something to make it a little bit more interesting. She recently used 7,000 dominoes to cover this Marriott hotel room. After spending hours doing a project and just seeing it go exactly how you plan, it's just, it's a really great feeling. That's someone with free time. I know a lot of people in this room are, are retired, so knock yourself out. <laughs> I have, I watched that video and I think she decorated a Marriott hotel room, which is interesting enough, but as the parent in me goes, who's gonna pick up those 7,000 dominoes, right? <laughs> um, but 
The last thing she said in the interview was really interesting to me. She said, to spend all the time and see it go how you had it planned. That poor girl. If only that was the way of the world, right? Right? But I wanted to take a moment to share the visual representation of, of something. And I quite honestly didn't have the patience or the steady hand to do that here um, for you. But could you imagine if you'd come in this morning and I just lined everything with dominoes? I would, if I had that much free time, I'd be in trouble, wouldn't I? But from the video, you can see how it takes skillful design and, and careful and intentional placement to accomplish these elaborate patterns in creative engineering. See, God has specifically and e- uniquely equipped you with skillful design, careful and intentional placement. Your unique piece accomplishes the work of his grand design. Now, remember this familiar verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know we read these verses often, and, and it's important that we do so. And it validates the providence and the credibility of the Bible and also reveals its purpose. And 2 Timothy 3.16 can stand on its own as a Bible study. In fact, that is the verse that I'll be unpacking in a new Bible study form that will begin in next month. In fact, I'm going to digress for a second and tell you about that. Um, we have our Sunday morning messages, which are scripturally based, socially relevant, and written to be practical for an enrichment and application of your faith. Hopefully everything I come in here and say comes out of the Bible. If it's a joke, or it'll be really obvious because it won't be funny. If it's, if it's my opinion, I'll usually tell you. But it's all scripturally based, and I'll reference that. And the idea is you can take this and apply it in your life or realize some, some way that God is working in your life. But on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings, Sunday morning in person and Wednesday evenings online, we have other Bible studies. And these are more discussion. We might pick a topic and read some scripture, and then we'll discuss them. And and these are really good discussion-based tools. But I realize there may be a gap, and some people would like to dive deeper into a specific topic or theme of the Bible. And that's some of the feedback I've gotten from people who listen online, but maybe not necessarily here present. They said, what can we do that be a little deeper? And I'm thinking more of a Sunday school format. So beginning in October, I'll be presenting an additional lesson on a specific topic. Now, last week, I asked you to email me with questions or topics you would like to have answered. Depending on what the subject is, maybe a Sunday morning message, how we unpack that, or a Bible study discussion, or the emphasis of the monthly lecture. And I hate to use that word lecture, but this, is, but this won't be a discussion. This will be a, an education, a, a lesson. And as I alluded to a moment ago, 2 Timothy 3.16 refers to the Bible as the inspired word of God. So the first question I'll be addressing is, what does it mean that the Bible is inspired? And we're going to look at through scripture and theological study, what that means. And that won't be a Sunday morning. And, uh, and as soon as I have more details, I'll share that with you. But that, I wanted to, to share that with you in this moment. But back to this morning's message. God has equipped you perfectly and absolutely for the plans and purposes he has for your life and for the way that your life impacts others. This is something that we've studied several times of the past few message series. And as a reminder, God has equipped each of us differently from 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you, as an individual, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now let me repeat that. You have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various 
forms, various forms. They aren't all identical. God has equipped you differently than anyone else, but with similar grand purpose, and that is to be the light of Christ in a fallen world, to guide people into a relationship with him, and to proclaim the gospel, the good news, the gospel, the good news of the gospel to everyone. And I'd heard it described this way, and I love it. It said, it is our goal to get to heaven and to take as many people with us as we can. It's our goal to get to heaven and take as many people as we can with us. Not only does each one of us have a different skill set, each of one of us has a different part to play. And then two weeks ago, we read 1 Corinthians 12. And this is Paul's analogy of the body of Christ as if it were a literal human body, differentiating the purpose of a hand and a foot and an eye and an ear. And he concluded that each part is unique in its function, but equally valuable and necessary. Likewise, in John 15, we find Jesus describing our connection as vines and branches. Our Lord and Savior says this. He says, I am the true vine. And he says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And he continues, I am the vine. This is Jesus' word. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, John 4 contains the familiar story of the woman at the well. And I'm going to share with you just the first two verses before Jesus even meets the Samaritan woman. Beginning at verse 1, he says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Okay? This is pretty early on in his studies. And now John, who had been baptizing people, now Jesus is baptizing more people than John. And it adds in verse 2, it says, Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Now, we might go right over that and get right to the story of the woman at the well. But Jesus' disciples are the branches. They extend beyond the vine that is Jesus himself, and they reach additional places. This was and continues to be the mission of the church and is the core of the Great Commission, which says, go and make disciples. And he says, I am with you always. The vine remains. We should feel emboldened and empowered to be a part of this. Yet our humanity tends to creep in from time to time. We, we make excuses, right? It's... Um, it, it, this is something that was floating around online a few years ago, and, and let me read it. It says, the next time you feel like God can't use you, remember this. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples themselves fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman from the well was divorced, more than once, actually. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> Whatever excuse, there's no more excuses. God can use every purpose. And, and 
we do tend to have these things, or, or I'm going to get rejected, or in this culture of, of political correctness, right? We don't want to offend anybody with our truth. But I want to remind you of that Pendulette video where he says, even he, who was a self-proclaimed atheist, said, if there's a bus coming towards you, right? You remember this? If there's a bus coming towards you, and I'm sure it's going to hit you. At some point, I'm going to shove you out of the way. And he says, how much more important is salvation? We put ourselves out there. We're not going to let anybody get hit by this bus. So no more excuses. And the post of this email sends with a statement says, besides you aren't the message, you are just the messenger. Now, I want to make a correction of that because I think your life and your story is a message. It is not the message, but it is a message. It reflects the message. And they says, there's no excuses. You can use God can use you to your full potential. And I'd say this in addition. I'd say God can use you to his full potential. Look at the people I just listed. You know, he had a stuttering problem. So he empowered him with someone who, who could speak clearly. You don't think that the people that are in your life and in your ministry don't compliment you. And I mean compliment as in complete you. That's how church works. That's why it's the body of Christ. Another way that our humanity creeps in is through our comparison with others. The, their gifts and their blessings versus our own or our efforts versus theirs. The truth is that God loves every person, but God's love does not guarantee that he will bless each of us in the same manner, right? We talk about this with our children. We love them equally but differently, equally but differently. God blesses in ways specific to each person. We're given unique parents and siblings and experiences Wealth, health, intelligence, and talents. In fact, uh, one example I found was from Genesis 25. This is Jacob. And Jacob was blessed by God. And he became the father of the Israelites instead of Esau, right? But that's God's prerogative to use whoever, however, and whenever he wants to. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God that is so wise? It is silly to compare my blessings to yours or yours to anyone else's. In fact, that's, that's kind of called covetousness, right? That's a sin. The Bible tells us to be content with what we're given. Actually, it even goes further to say be good stewards of what you're given. Not to be jealous of other people's blessings, but do the most with what you've been given. And then there's pride. No one wants to feel used or taken advantage of. Even the words have a bad feeling to them, don't they? We want, to, we want people that we care about to ask us, right, to, for help. We'd be offended if someone was struggling and didn't ask us. We want them to use our help. We want organizations and causes we believe in to take advantage of our skills, right? So you see how maybe these things aren't so bad? So I suggest that we don't so much have a problem with feeling used or taken advantage of. Rather, we resent being taken for granted. We want to be acknowledged and we want to be asked. and We, want to, we don't want to be presumed to be willing or able. But think back to the domino rally on that video. What happens when you remove just one piece out of all of that? It doesn't matter what color the piece is. It doesn't matter how many dots it has on it, any of that stuff. If it is properly placed, and intended, the intended thing will happen, right? It'll fall over and do whatever it's supposed to do. But if you remove even just one, everything stops and the design fails. Proverbs 16.4 reminds us that the Lord has made everything for its purpose. That includes the timing and placement of your life, your peace in this plan. 
if you think you're waiting for direction, like what should I do, where should I be, Jesus already gave it to you. Are you waiting to find your place or your placement? You are already there. Remember, God the Creator designed everything and everyone according to his good purpose. Bloom where you're planted is a cliche. And I want you to think of the events in your life with similar fashion. Each is a strategically, intentionally placed piece of the greater design. The good stuff, the bad, each and every one is usable and necessary. Ecclesiastes 3, Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. And I share the entire of that passage, but every time I do, I bust into that silly song, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, and half of you are going to have it in your head now. I am so sorry. Are you wanting to have a prominent role, one that you may never have even been intended to have, right? We want to be the leader, the head, or whatever, but there are so many pieces that have to happen for things to work. And not all of them are in this spotlight. I'm going to read a, a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. If you'd like to read long, you can open your Bible to Matthew 6. And the trick, if you remember, is split it in the middle, Psalms, and split it again. That should get you pretty close. And I'm going to read from the NIV, and there's even different copyrights to the NIV. So uh, bear with me as I read from, from Scripture. These are Jesus' own words beginning in verse 1, Matthew 6. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving away may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I'm going to pause here. I'm not trying to shame anyone over any kind of boldness, okay? That is not the message here, okay? You are empowered to give and give generously in the way you are called. But I want you to know is everything's important. So it's not about whether you're a big piece, a little piece, or whatever. Every single part of it's important, and that's really the message. But I want to continue because in verse 5, Jesus goes on to talk about prayer in a similar fashion. He says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pause again here. I wasn't going to read that because that's not really in time with this morning's message, but that's such an important passage to remember that, that, number one, God knows what's on your heart. He knows what you need. He knows what's troubling you, okay? So the act of prayer isn't just about telling God something he already knows. It's about humbling yourself and surrendering. Say, God, I need this. God, I need the help, right? God, I, I, I thank you for who you are and what you mean to me. That's what that is. And so the therapy comes from that, plus what God is going to do. God needs us to pray because we need to pray and trust and rely on him. And again, it's not about having the perfect wording. That's really the message here. I know that some people are shy about praying out loud because they want to, I don't know if they think they need to be in King James language or speak with this different thing. My my flight instructor used to make fun of me. I, I got my pilot's license after college and... And I would talk about like I talk now. 
but when somehow when I got on the radio and I was talking to the air traffic control tower, I had this different voice that, that I could probably do it and I won't because it'll you'll make fun of me. But he said, why do you talk like that? And I said, well, that's how you talk. And he said, no, that's what you say, but why do you talk like that? You don't have to have a prayer language. The prayer language that God wants to hear is whatever comes out of your heart, okay? You can stutter, you can stumble. If you're falling asleep and, you, and you're praying before you go to bed and you doze off, don't you love it when your child falls asleep in your arms? I mean, isn't that comforting to know that they trust you? That is what God looks at that like. Or start your day that way. Set the tone. But he says, don't give for show. Don't pray for show. Because it's not of that what makes you important or good. All right? It's your heart. And so giving generously and faithfully and honestly has been a good exercise during the pandemic. Because when, when everybody was sent home or attendance is down or we're spacing out, if you've been faithful in your giving, not only financially to the church, but also in your serving others, you may have to modify these a little bit. It's been a good test. It, it, when we've had the, the offering plate in the back, no one sees if it's passed in front of you, if you put something in or, or don't. That's no one's business but yours and God's. That's why we take that moment during our prayer time to thoughtfully pray and ask God, what is your calling me to give? That's a very personal decision. Philippians 2.13, Paul writes, actually reminds us, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. Whatever you do, whatever peace you are, that's God's work in you. So whatever you're calling, it is powerful and important. Don't dismiss it, don't regret it, and certainly don't be ashamed of it. And as I conclude, I want you not to reluctantly, but enthusiastically embrace your role and responsibility in the world how and with whom you interact and, and to seize every opportunity to be used in the greater design. If you can't see further than what's immediately in front of you, trust in the one who put you in that position. And I'd like to close with this benediction that's attributed to the Apostle Paul from Hebrews books, uh, for the book of Hebrews 13, 20, 21. He says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, says, may he equip you with every good, everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful prayer and wish that is. That each one of you would find, identify, and fulfill your calling and purpose, regardless of what that may be. Let's pray. Father God, how amazing it is that the most simple things, even a, a, a toy, a game that, that someone decided to stack up and knock over can be a reminder of how every single piece plays its part, even if it's one of two or one of millions, that having that strategically placed in that exact location at that exact moment fulfills the greater design. Lord, help us to understand that that is us in this world. We may not be the most prominent we may not be the most glamorous. We may not, whatever it may be. Or we may be in that position. But God, you've placed us in certain aspects and circumstances of this world to fill the purpose that you have specifically for us. You have designed us, created us, and given us life to do that very thing. Lord, let us not boast in ourselves, but in you and the work that's being done. Let us as the branches 
connected to that vine, reach every place in this world as we seek to glorify you, to seek salvation for ourselves and everyone else as well. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you for the sacrifice, the example, and the three short years of teaching that set the groundwork that is in place today, which is the church. And we each, a piece and function of it, this global body of Christ. Lord, as we leave this place, may we seek you in all that we do. May we not miss an opportunity to bless others, either through our words or our actions. And all glory be to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.